Well, good afternoon and happy Mother's Day. It's good to be together. And uh, there was a primary school teacher, and uh, she took a whole afternoon with her class to teach them about magnets. And so she explained how magnets worked. She showed them pictures of magnets. She demonstrated with magnets. She had them playing with magnets. And it seemed to go really well. Then the next morning, she said, uh, said to herself, I, I need to test to make sure they've got the point of a magnet, they, that they've understood this lesson. So she started the day with a little quiz. And she, the question on the quiz was very simple. It, it said, what am I? My name has six letters in it. The first letter is M, and I pick things up. Over 50% of the class wrote down mother. <laughs> Mothers are incredible, aren't they? Mothers are such an incredible blessing on us that we really want to take today to mark Mother's Day and to point out how significant mothers are uh, biblically as well. Because there's, uh, there's a Spanish proverb, an old Spanish proverb, that says an ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest. An ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest. Mothers have such a huge impact on the next generation. Each one of us sits here, recipients at some level of the blessing of a mother. And so what we're going to do this afternoon is we're going to look at a passage in the Bible. We're taking a, a one-week break from our series to look at a passage where Paul... Uh, the apostle, had been doing his ministry, visiting places, starting churches, and he's describing the ministry that he had in uh, the place, Thessalonica, and he uses the description of a mother. Basically, what he's saying is, the way we ministered among you was like a mother. And I can't think of a much higher compliment than that, than the Apostle Paul saying, that's something that I aspire to. When I'm doing church work, I want to be mother-like in my ministry. And so we're going to look at that passage and we're going to think about it both in terms of what it says about mothers, but also what it says about church. After all, uh, children are watching mothers all the time. You kind of feel the pressure of those little eyes on you, don't you? That you're the example and they're watching and they're learning so much. But today we're going to say, actually, the whole church is watching. Tim and Andy and I, as elders in the church, are watching the mothers, and we need to learn from the mothers how to do a godly ministry in the church according to this passage. And so we want to think about Mother's Day in terms of mothering, but we also want to do, uh, think about Mother's Day in terms of churching. How can we be a community who have a mother-like ministry? Mothers change lives. And a mother-like ministry in a church changes lives. And we're going to see that. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. It's in the New Testament near the end of your Bible. If you've got one of these church Bibles, I believe it should be page 986. If you need a Bible, wave your hand and we'll get one to you. Page 986. So this is 1 Thessalonians, and just a little bit of background while you're finding it. Paul uh, lived after the time of Jesus, and uh, he became a follower of Jesus when Jesus called him to be uh, his messenger to, uh, to, really, to the non-Jewish world. 
And so Paul did these missionary journeys, we call them. We read about them in the book of Acts, where he traveled from place to place, getting churches established, bringing people to faith, explaining who Jesus was, building them up, and he kept on moving. Uh, So he was keeping on moving and leaving behind him sort of a trail of new communities of believers. And so on his second journey, he'd come, uh, he'd traveled north, he'd traveled across what we would call Turkey. He came uh, right to the far coastline of Turkey, and, and then God called him to come over into Europe. And he came over into Europe, and he came to Philippi, and then he came to Thessalonica, and then he went on to Berea and on down to, uh, down to Greece. I was going to say Germany. He didn't go there. But he went down to Greece. And, and so on that second journey, it was quite a discouraging journey. He'd gone through all these places. It didn't feel like things were working super well. He kept getting chased out of one town into the next. And so when he gets down to Greece, he writes this letter back to the church at Thessalonica and talks to them or writes to them about what, what his experience had been with them. He's writing to encourage them. He's writing to uh, kind of keep teaching them, even though he can't be there in person. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's just read the first six verses, just a bit of a setup here. And what we find here is he talks about both the content, if you like, of his ministry, but also the, the context. He talks about how challenging it was, how uh, how much of a uh, how much suffering was involved and how difficult it was. So, one Thessalonians chapter two, first six verses. He writes, "For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict." Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Okay, so let's pause there and just get a feel for what he's saying. He's looking back and he's saying, when we came, our motivations were good. We weren't trying to impress you. We weren't trying to to get praise from people. We were serving in the church with our radar fixed on God. We wanted him to be pleased with what we were doing. Now, that's true for church ministry. It's also true for mothering, isn't it? That when we do church ministry, when we are involved in spreading the gospel and bringing people to to know who Jesus is and be part of the community, it can be incredibly draining. It can be hard work. It uh, It can be discouraging. You can have uh, 50 people in a church who are thrilled by church on a Sunday, but typically it's the one who isn't that emails, you know, and you can, you can kind of get yourself uh, into a state where you, you feel the energy draining out because you're giving, 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 and people just don't seem to appreciate it. But if that's true for church ministry, how much more true is that for mothering? 
I mean, he's not talking about mothering yet, but let's mention it since we're here. Mothering is incredible hard work, isn't it? Day and night, constant, uh, no conversation, uh, no thank yous for years. Uh, you know, you keep training, you keep working on it. Eventually, the thank yous start to come. But, but it can be an incredibly challenging ministry to have. In fact, I, I came across one survey that said uh, there are eight common challenges for mothers of young children. Okay, so this church is full of young children, as you've noticed, which means there's a lot of mothers of young children here. See how many of these ring true for you. Eight common challenges for mothers of young children. Number one, and by the way, if you're not a mother, please listen, because you might find ways to encourage, you know, in the the context of this. So number one, low self-esteem. Okay, low self-esteem. Number two, monotony and loneliness. How true is that? Every nappy change, just the same again. Every day, same rhythm. You pick it up, it's messy again. You pick it up, it's messy again. Monotony monotony and loneliness. Number three, stress from too many demands. Okay, number four, lack of time with husband. I'm seeing looks of, of kind of recognition in eyes here. Obviously, that's only exacerbated if you're a single mum, and you know we, we absolutely uh, take our hats off to single mums for the incredible work that you do. But even uh, even married, it's still a challenge, still difficult. Lack of time with husband. Number five, confusion about discipline. Hmm, that's tricky, isn't it? And just when you master it with one child, they move on. And then you've got to learn something else. And then when you think you're getting somewhere, you have another child and they're completely different. Have you noticed that? Confusion about discipline. Number, where do we get to? Six, the home atmosphere. You want a garden of tranquility, an oasis of peace, and instead it feels like the eye of a storm, doesn't it, most of the time? So the home atmosphere. Number seven, need for outside role models. Who do you look to? Who, who can you copy? Who can you get advice from? Who is there that will just say, I get what you're doing, keep going? A need for outside role models. And number eight, the whole complex of training children. How do you actually train children? It's kind of core to the role, but how do you do it? And so there's eight things that are apparently common experience of mothers of young children. And in some ways, it's kind of a nice setup because you think, oh, actually, what's going on in the home and what's going on in the church have some overlaps. In other places, Paul says that an elder needs to be a manager of his own household because if he can't manage his own household, how's he supposed to manage this household? And so that in Paul's mind, there's a real connection between what happens in church and what happens in parenting. And it really becomes explicit when we get down to verse 7. And from verse 7 through to about verse 10, he becomes explicit in saying, look, I was like a mother. That's how I ministered, or that's how we ministered to you. So let's read those verses from verse 7. So having established in the first six verses, it's for the glory of God, not for praise from people, Verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So there's five descriptions there, five elements of the quality of a mother that Paul says were qualities of his ministry. Okay, so if you're a mother here, you can be encouraged by these five qualities. Uh, everyone else, let's also be encouraged because this is describing ministry in the church. It's describing us caring for one another. Okay, and so, so this is a message for all of us, not just for the mums. Five qualities of a mother that need to be true in the home, but also need to be true for all of us in the church. Number one, gentle. Gentle. Gentleness is so valuable, isn't it? And it's actually not natural. It would be very easy for us in the church to be harsh with one another, to get frustrated with one another, to lose our tempers and to kind of have a go when somebody is making life difficult. Just like it is easy for a mother to lose her temper at home. And yet there's a quality of gentleness that is not just a quality of, of mothers and not just a quality of, of church ministry, it's a quality of Jesus, isn't it? The gentleness that is the fruit of the Spirit is a description of the characteristic of God himself. Jesus could have been so harsh with everybody he met. I mean, after all, he was God. He was the highest uh, being that was ever to walk this earth, fully God, fully man. And he could have kind of just gone on a rampage, just a standards uh, inventory of humanity and told everyone they were falling short. But then when you see Jesus in action, you see a tenderness and a gentleness about him. Think of Jesus with the woman at the well. Here was a woman whose life was an absolute train wreck. She had five husbands. She was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. Her whole community seemed to shun her. I mean, she was absolutely at the bottom of the totem pole. And when she encountered Jesus at the well, he spoke to her with gentleness with tenderness. He, he offered to give her life, to give her water that would satisfy. He offered to give her uh, the true, kind of the ultimate reality of relationship with God. Effectively, in that story, he's offering for her to become part of the bride of Christ, and he does it so gently, so tenderly, that there's a mother-like quality to the gentleness of Christ. Sometimes when you're hurt, only mum will do, right? Sometimes dad's okay, you know, he's all right as far as he goes, but sometimes it has to be the embrace of the mother, doesn't it? Sometimes it's the mother's touch, the mother's tender kiss that can just uh, soothe the pain for a child. And Paul says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, that's the first quality, the quality of gentleness. But then second one here in verse 7 again is this caring quality, the 
tender, life-giving, caring quality of a nursing mother. He says, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I've watched that for uh, on and off for, what is it now, 16 years in our home. It's incredible. Just the, 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 the drive in Melanie to do that when she's got nothing left in the tank to, to do it with, if you like. The, the energy's gone, she's tired, she's wiped out, the baby cries, and out she goes. And I contrast that with myself. If I'm interrupted like once in the night, I'm miserable the next day. You know, sometimes I don't even wake up and I still feel miserable. I have a child kind of pushing me on the arm saying, you know, I've had a bad dream or whatever. And I, I hope that I say things that are kind at that point. Sometimes I probably don't because I'm not really in control. But I can get up, walk into the other room, put the child back to bed, go back to bed, and I'm absolutely shattered, like I've done something. And then Melanie gets up with a newborn and nurses for an hour, gets back to bed. Two hours later, does it again. There's something about a mother that is so caring so generous, so loving, so tender. There's no harshness in that. There's no kind of abruptness. When a mother is in the zone, it's an absolutely beautiful thing to watch. And that is something that needs to be a quality of church life too, that we have a tenderness with one another. In fact, the, the next one kind of builds on that, or maybe even, I should say, takes away from that. Verse 8 because he says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. As well as being gentle, as well as being caring, a mother is incredibly giving, sacrificially giving. Because when she's giving in that nursing uh, situation, she is giving of her own. She is being depleted in order to give to the other. There is a draining quality to what's taking place at that point, which is why at that point in life, sometimes our wives can out-eat us. <laughs> it gets interesting. It's about the only stage, late pregnancy and early after the birth, where I can go to a restaurant and say, okay, I quit, you win. Normally, it's the other way around. But there's something about a, a mother's sacrificial love that's so beautiful because it's the giving of self, isn't it? It's not, just, it's not just, you know, here I'm giving you something or here I'm giving you money. It's not I'm giving you my very self. And as you're gaining life, I'm draining. I, I am fading. I am disappearing in this process. Husbands, we need to care for our wives, obviously. But we need to care for one another as a church in that same way. Imagine what it would be like to be part of a community where people give of themselves to one another. I think we do know what that's like, don't we? What a privilege it is to be part of that. And, and how is that possible? How is it possible for a mother to do that for a child or for a church to do that for one another? It's only possible because the one that we fix our eyes on is the ultimate sacrificial self-giver. Every week we think about Jesus going to the cross and giving his life so that we could have life. You see how it all works together? We're not just kind of elevating mums in some sort of slightly awkward way because it's Mother's Day. No, we're saying actually what happens in motherhood is a glimpse into the very heart of God. And therefore, what, what is true of a mother is true of God, needs to be true of us as we live for him and represent him. A gentleness, a care, 
a giving. I read this the other day, uh, and let me just actually, it was last night, and let me just read this to you. I won't go into all the background, but you kind of get the sense of it. The writer says this, how can it be an important calling, and it is, to tell other people's children about mathematics, and yet a small calling to tell one's own children about the universe? A mother's function is laborious, not because it is minute, but because it is gigantic. I will pity a mother for the hugeness of her task, but I will never pity her for its smallness. Isn't that true? What we're doing when we care for the littlest one, when we have a newborn and, uh, or a toddler running around the house asking the questions, what mum does for the child at that point is big, it's huge, it's vast, it's introducing that child to everything. And in the same way as a community, we want to be a people who celebrate God and who do ministry and do it in a way that's pleasing to him, doing it in a way that reflects his character But also we want to make sure we do it in a way that honors and and builds up households too. Because what's happening in this church is not just what happens in this room. Upstairs there's a vast horde of little ones. Next door it used to be a bigger group but they've all moved upstairs one by one. And we're replenishing that room now. That's great. So we kind of keep it going. But, But isn't it amazing to think that every week the ministry that's taking place in here is no bigger than the ministry that's taking place in the other rooms. If you're involved in kids club, if you're involved in crash, you're doing something very important. And if you're the mother of one of the kids in kids club or the kids in crash, you're doing something very important all week long. And we want to we want to celebrate that. We want to cheer you on. We want to say, good job, keep going. We want to be a community that builds really strong households, encouraging one another. And so Paul here says it, the, the mother-like ministry is gentle, it's caring, it's giving. And then in verse 9, actually verse 9 and 10, he seems to be sort of in between the mother description and the father description that's coming. But because it's Mother's Day, I'm going to keep it with the mother part because it's true for mums. And uh, dads, don't despair, you're coming in a second. Okay, so verse 9, what's the next quality that he gives us here? Our labor and toil, we worked night and day. There's a ceaselessness to godly ministry. There's ceaseless quality to being a mother. It's day and night and it's night and day. It's nonstop, isn't it? No matter how much you do, uh, no matter how much you give, there's always more that's needed. It's true in the the sort of the nursing stage, the early stage that we've talked about. It's true later with teenagers. They seem to want to talk when you want to sleep. And then they they grow up and move out and then the dads sleep. And what do the mums do? They lie awake praying. There's a day and a night quality, a constant round-the-clock quality to the heart of a mother. And I think what Paul's describing here is that that should be part of the life of a church. That there's a day and night ceaseless quality that we're caring for one another, that we're giving, we're supporting, we're encouraging, we're available, we're doing what we can constantly. 
When that's true, when there's that mother heart, if you like, within the community of a church, then our Father is pleased. Our Father is represented well because it's true of Him. Our Lord never sleeps. He neither slumbers nor sleeps, it says in Psalm 121. We don't need to worry that maybe at a certain point in time we come to Him in prayer and we get a kind of answering machine message. It's never true of God. He's always there, always listening, always ready. And in some way, we want to be that to each other. And then the final quality comes in verse 10. So we've had gentleness. We've had uh, caring. We've had giving. We've, have, we've had ceaseless. And lastly, we have godly. Notice the words he uses in verse 10. He says, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. What a powerful example a well-lived life is to those who are watching. It's true in ministry. It's true in the home. And the first life that every little person looks at and aspires to and learns from is the life of its mother. And the godly, righteous, uh, holy, blameless quality of that life has such a profound impact. In fact, there's more to it than that because all of you know as mums that you're not perfect. All of you know that you blow it, that you, you sometimes lose your cool, that you sometimes don't do what you should or you don't act the way you should. That doesn't discount you from this verse because children are watching and when they see you humble yourself before God or humble yourself before your husband or humble yourself before your children. When they see you confess and ask for forgiveness, they are seeing a righteousness and a blamelessness in action in the real world. I think that's so powerful. It's something we need to keep in mind. We haven't blown it. We haven't failed. We haven't disqualified ourselves. We just confess. We ask for forgiveness. And we look to God for strength to carry on. There was a famous uh, skeptic called Robert Ingersoll. And he was doing a lecture on a campus and two students went to hear him. And he absolutely went after Christianity. You know, he was a total atheist trying to destroy uh, the faith of any Christians in the room. And afterwards, two of the students were walking home. And one said to the other, wow, Ingersoll really ripped out all the foundations of Christianity. And the other one said, well, I don't know. I'm not convinced. Ingersoll failed to explain my mother's life. And as long as he cannot explain my mother's life, then I'm going to continue to stand by my mother's God. Because no, no matter what he says, he hasn't explained what I've seen in her. It's powerful. A life lived for God, a life lived in humility for him, persisting with him no matter how challenging it gets. And so those are the qualities that we want to ponder a little bit. Qualities that we see in mothers, and mothers we thank you for being gentle, for being caring, uh, for being so giving, for being ceaseless, and for being godly. We thank God for you, but these are qualities that we want to see in ourselves as a church. Qualities that we want to reflect the life and the ministry of this church. And ultimately qualities that will only be true because we're seeing them in God himself. But dads are included as well. Let's not miss the dads. Verse 11. 
He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The hard-working example of verses 9 and 10 is true of a mother, is true of a father. And here in verses 11 and 12, we see the exhorting and the encouraging that dads kind of bring to the table. Ultimately, the design is for it to be a team project, isn't it? For the home life to be built with mother and father mutually supporting each other and investing in the next generation. And in the same way, we need to have those qualities as a church, mutually shared between us. The gentleness and so on of a mother, the exhortation of a father, the example of both, the hard work of all. I suppose we should finish with verse 13. Verse 13 is kind of the, the, the bit where the whole thing sort of comes to fruition. And I, and I love how he puts it here. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. He's saying, here's what I thank God for. I thank God for the fact that when we preach to you, you received it as the word of God. And that word of God is at work transforming lives. That's what we long for in our households. It's what we long for in the church. We long to be a, a people who are responsive to God, whose, whose very word gets into us and is transformative, who is at work within us. That Spanish proverb says, an ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest. But what if, as a church, we had a mother-like quality to our priestly role? What if we didn't just separate out the role of a mother from the ministry of a church, but said, no, let's have all of these qualities at play in the midst of everything that's taking place, that we could speak to one another gently that we can care for one another, that we can give of ourselves, that we can be relentless and ceaseless in the way that we care for each other, that we can be godly in the examples that we give by the lives that we live and even godly by the way we cope when we mess it up. And like a good father, we can encourage and exhort and also set a good example. If these qualities could be true of us here at Trinity, and I believe they are in many ways, but if we can just look to God to stir these qualities within us, how amazing it will be to be a part of this community. How amazing it will be to be in a community where it's not an ounce of this and a ton of that, but there is just a quality of the father heart of God and even the mother heart of God, if you like. The qualities that a mother lives out in her home, qualities that we see in God lived out in our community. That's an incredible potential, isn't it? I think in many ways we should be encouraged. There's a lot of good happening here at Trinity. There's a lot of good happening in a lot of individual homes and we're cheering the mums on today but let's cheer one another on and let's look to God to make us the kind of community he wants us to be. A community that reflects his heart in the way that we care for one another. Let's pray.
Father, we just want to say thank you so much for all the mums in this room and all the mums in the other rooms. Thank you for the blessing that they are to their own families. Thank you for the blessing that they are to us as a community. And Lord, we just want to here this afternoon declare before you that, that we are all lacking, that we all fall short. We fall short in our homes. We fall short in the church. And yet we want to have the parenting quality about our love for each other that we see in you. And so even as we sing now, even as we continue to worship, we pray that the quality that we see in you, the the realities that are true of your heart toward us would stir our hearts, that inspired by you, we can love one another well, we can serve one another well, and we can please you every step of the way. Please make us the church you want us to be. Thank you so much for what you've done already. And Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. We deeply, deeply appreciate the God that you are. Thank you for your goodness to each one of us. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.